Again, I want to welcome each of you to our gathering today. If I don't know you, uh, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Center Church. And man, we are glad uh, that you're gathering with us. Uh, one thing of note is we have our JAM missionaries with us this summer. Raise your hand if you're a part of JAM. Yeah, let's give those guys a hand. So if you don't know what JAM is, JAM is a summer program where uh, they have like 180 this year. 180 kids get picked up every day. They go to Krause Elementary and man, they get to hear the good news of the gospel. They get to uh, learn amongst their peers. And man, these missionaries have, uh, man, they've come and they are sacrificing their time, their giftings, uh, maybe their blood, sweat and tears at times as well to pour into the lives of these kids. And so we're grateful to have AJ and the team here with us today. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. We are kicking off a new series today. We're going to start. You can open your Bible. So Psalm 66. Uh, we've uh, told someone earlier, man, kicking off a new series is always hard because I feel like I have so much that just to kind of set up things. And so we need to go fast because we got a lot to get through today. Uh, but we are starting a series today uh, in the Psalms entitled Proclaim Until the Whole World Hears. Every two or three years, something we've done is we've taken time during the summer months to slow down and we've actually worked through uh, the Psalms in different seasons uh, as a church. Uh, and so if you've been there and been a part of that, what, you, what we say is that, man, these songs or poems that were written uh, by many authors, uh, uh, man, a total of 150 of them we find in the Scriptures, the largest book in the Bible, what we see as we read, and really for our time uh, over the next five weeks, is that as we read these psalms, well, I believe we see really two things. First, uh, that, that they were read and sung by God's people and continue to be read and sung by God's people throughout history for the sake of worship. Really, as you look through the psalms, man, there is a ton of just songs of worship, of adoration. There are songs of lament. Uh, and, and so we see uh, this, this, these postures of worship as we enter in. But also, and for the sake of this series, we see that, man, these psalms proclaim who God is and what He's done. They, play, they proclaim the fulfillment of which, man, what we understand, because we have, uh, man, uh, both not just the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, is that we understand through the Word of God is that uh, these fulfillments of who God is and what God has done comes in the person work of Jesus. Christopher H.W. Ride, in writing about the mission of God in the Psalms, he said this, he said that they deal with God's mission that involves God's people living in God's ways in the sight of the nations. So our call as followers of Jesus is we are God's people who are a part of that mission. And our call is to live in God's ways in the sight of the nations. You see, the Bible is not an insular story that can, be only, that can only be engaged by a few. Rather, it is to be an expressive story that is to be proclaimed to all. And in the Psalms, when we look at them, give us great perspective but also they give us equipping for what proclamation is to look like in our daily lives. Jesus would actually tell His disciples this in Luke 24. It will be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Following His resurrection, Jesus says this beginning in verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Hear this. 
that everything written about me. So everything that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's so key, right? Because that's not a common statement. In, In Scripture, you see the law and the prophets a lot. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, all of Scripture is about me. I've said it before, like, you know, what's the answer to everything? Jesus, right? Like, Jesus is the answer. Kids, don't try that in school. Study hard. But, like, Jesus is the ultimate answer we need. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, look, everything. He's saying, I am the apex of history. Everything from the law and prophets, but even in the Psalms, was written about me. But look what he says. He says, it must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened the disciples' minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be what? Proclaimed in His name to all nations. George Peters says, he, he, he in his study, said that 175 uses of the nations in the Psalms. Peters would argue that it is one of the greatest missionary books in the Scriptures. Look what he says. He says that you are to proclaim in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Not only were they witnesses of these things, they were then to be witnesses to these things. You see, the Gospel was not plan B. It was plan A that Jesus would put on flesh, live, die, and resurrect, and then commission His disciples to what? To go and make disciples, Matthew 28, of what? Of all nations. Then he says in Acts 1 8, again, we talk, these are like if there's two foundational passages that are center churches, Matthew 28 and Acts 1 8, probably. Acts 1 8 says, Go and be his what? Be his witnesses, beginning where? In Jerusalem. But we are to go to the ends of the earth. You see, to make disciples and be a witness, what do you have to do? Well, we've got to proclaim the good news. You see, the gospel must be proclaimed with words, and we are called into this commission of disciple-making through proclamation. We've said this countless times. You are always proclaiming some type of news. All the time. You're always proclaiming something, be it in celebration or sorrow, excitement or drudgery. News is being proclaimed. The question is, is it the good news of the gospel or is it just news for the moment? I mean, I I didn't just wear this shirt today just to wear it. I mean, I like this shirt, but this shirt is proclaiming something. We don't know what it is exactly, but it's proclaiming something, right? In your life, you are always proclaiming something. And if you're a follower of Jesus, bought by the blood and given life by grace, you are to be a proclaimer of Jesus. And so our aim for this series is to implore, to encourage, and to equip you in ways of proclaiming the good news. Because again, the call is for all who follow Christ. The call is for all of us. Not just a select few, not just a pastor up here, not just your MC leader, not just those that are teaching and center kids right now. No, all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the same commission. 
to go and proclaim the good news. But I don't know about you, but man, at times, we struggle to proclaim the good news, do we not? I mean, maybe that's something like in your life, just think about it. This is not one of those call and response times, but just think about it. I would encourage why, how and why do you struggle to proclaim the good news of the gospel? Why do we struggle to proclaim? Well, there's probably a litany of reasons, but let me just give you two really quickly. First, is I think at times we put our hope in other news. At times, we can begin to think other things are the good news. But something we say in the office all the time is, only the gospel is the gospel. To which Jeremy always responds, that's the truest statement I've ever heard. Only the gospel is the gospel. And yet, and if we're not careful, we will put our hope in other news. Jerry said it well earlier in talking about Roe versus Wade. He said, you know, you, you can't legislate the heart. And I want you to hear, celebrate what happened on Friday. Celebrate it, because it is worth celebrating. It is worth celebrating, but we, as God's people, we are not to stop there. Jeremy gave you five reasons why, right? Or five things that we need to respond with. You see, the reason we don't stop is because while legislation might have changed, people still need good news that saves lives for eternity. Legislation can change lives physically and save lives physically, but guess what? We have eternal good news. See, people need good news that stands in the gap for the mother and even the father in need. To provide homes, meals, foster care, adoption, and the like so that we might proclaim the gospel of life that comes through Christ alone. And so we struggle because we put our hope in other news, but also we are overly excited about menial things, but are underwhelmed by the gospel, are we not? So often we walk around as if the gospel is just something for our past or a ticket that gets punched one day at the pearly gates, right? Maybe that's what you were told. I know that's kind of the theology I was taught as a child. And so I had a little tiny view of the gospel. And so what that caused me to do is I would look to all these other things. I would become excited about menial things. Instead of standing in the reality that I need the good news just as much today as I did yesterday and just as much tomorrow as I do today. When you have a little gospel, and you have a little view of the reason you're called to proclaim the gospel. You see, you don't have to push people to talk about what they love. It fills up their thoughts. It fills up our time. And when not held properly, man, it fills up our worship. People are always talking about what they love. Let me just give an example of this. Get ready. I told people they could boo me if they want to. You don't have to tell an Aggie to talk about being an Aggie. They had no issue getting the gigs and throwing collegiate horns down gang signs after they pummeled Texas in baseball last week, right? Is gigs, is that the, is that the proper terminology? I don't even know what a gig is, okay? 
Like, I have no idea, don't understand it, but maybe that's, you just get the gigs and then that, that's, you're excited, right? Like, that's it. But they had no problem with that. In the same way that you don't have to tell a Red Raider fan, I, to be a horrible fan that finds enjoyment when they lose the next game. Just me? It's okay. You, you, can, you can come to me afterwards and talk about the Cowboys and just say, you're a Cowboys fan, y'all are the worst, y'all never win. I'll be like, yeah, but y'all are just the SEC version of the Cowboys. Like, it's okay. Right? It's like, we're in this together. We all suffer. But what I will say is this, like I, I don't want us just to cast all that to the side because it, it's not wrong to, to enjoy those things, to even love those things in some way. The problem is that we're so comfortable talking about and espousing our little hobby gospels, but we're not so good, nor are we comfortable proclaiming the gospel that brings life and is and forever will be undefeated. You see, Jesus holds the title of the defeater of death. No other news can claim that. And so what we want to do over the next five weeks is open to specific psalms that call us to proclaim the gospel to not only ourselves as a reminder of our own need, but with the outward focus posture of the nations. By nations, I mean, I mean the whole earth, right? But I mean, man, your neighbor, your coworker. You see, the good news needs to be shared. It's our call to share it. And we're to do so until the whole world hears. So let's jump into Psalm 66, 1-7. through Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings Praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into the dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him who rules by His might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt himself. Selah. So Psalm 66, when read, is an example of what some would call doxological evangelism. What that means simply is that it is a liturgical song of praise that proclaims the good news of salvation to not simply the Jew, but to the nations. You see, this is a psalm that describes the glory of God, but also it describes our need because of our rebellion and sin. And then lastly, it issues a call to all of creation to worship the one true God. And it begins with a call for all the earth to shout for joy to God. The, the term for shout could be defined as make a joyful noise loudly to God. Like we should be a people who proclaim, the, uh, proclaim, God loud, proclaim to God loudly in praise. And some of you, I know maybe some of you have a problem with this. Uh, I get told all the time that I sing loud. I'm okay with it. It's just who I am. Don't care. Even if it's not good. I don't care. I'm going to sing loud. Alright? Uh, but even Haley leaned over to me earlier and she was like, hey, do you hear the, all the girls singing? I was like, yeah, I do. Like, that's why I stopped singing. You can hear them. Like, the kids sing loud. 
Maybe some of you, the reason you have a problem with that is you've been told or you believe the lie that you should just keep your praise inward because it's just a groaning too deep for words, right? Like, hey, you just you keep that to yourself, right? Who sings that song? Let them sing it, not you, right? Like that's all like what I want to say to you is hey, it's okay, sing loud. Just just sing, like may we praise God. Let us shout for joy. Make glad emotions. Who cares how it sounds? Proclaim with joy the God of salvation. Again, our kids sing loud. Listen, I, I, I don't hear it as much up here. It's like something I just go kind of tone it. But out there, when I, when someone else, like I hear the kids, they're yelling in the classrooms. Guess what? That's a good thing. Actually, you should, like if you hear that, like you should go tell the teachers, hey, good job. Good job. Because our kids are excited about it. Go to jam. And watch how those kids scream and yell and get hyped for Jesus. Amen? Like all the time, right? Like we should celebrate and live like that. So we're called to shout, but the focus of our shouts, which again is not meant to be meaningless noise, but they're to proclaim the truth that God is worthy of all the glory. Verse 2. He is to be the focus of our proclamation. If Jesus is not the focus of your proclamation, you need to stop proclaiming. He is the focus. And so today in your life, what is the focus of your proclamation? Now, I would encourage you in this, if you're brave enough to go to someone and say, when I speak, who's the focus of my speech off and on? Is it on me? Is it on my circumstance? Is it on others and how I'm disgruntled by them? Or is it on God? And allow them to honestly respond. And then don't retaliate. Say, okay. One more thing in verse 1. The psalmist calls for all the earth to do this. This phrase is an encompassing praise that all the earth praises God, but the call here is for all the peoples of the earth to proclaim. You see, already in verse 1, it's missional in focus. And it reveals future hope that salvation, again, was not simply for Jew, but would come to the Gentile. Next, in verse 3, we're told to tell or speak. So as God's people, we do not simply walk around singing His name. That would be a little weird, right? Like we're not in a musical. Although some of you are like, I wish we were. But whether by song or not, our speech and the content of our speech is to be directed towards the worship of God. We are to tell God, the psalmist says, how awesome His deeds are. So great is your power, the psalmist says, that your enemies come cringing to you. I love this portion of the psalm because what it does is it models for us how we're to speak of Christ's victory in light of His death and resurrection. You see, through the cross, we see the greatest act of God. The Bible is full of stories of God's actions of love and rescue for His people, but at the cross, we get a picture of just how great and awesome His love is. You see, it's by the grace of God through His power and might that we are saved. And it produces two things. It produces awe and it produces fear. Both in the believer and the unbeliever alike, right? Like when we said, and I encourage you, recount the awesome deeds of God in your life. Write them down. 
Tell them to somebody. This is what these is, this is how I've seen God work in amazing and mighty ways. And what that does is you do that like you're left in awe, right? But also as you've seen what God's brought you out of, like you you're like, man, I, it, it teaches you to fear God, right? He's more powerful than I. So too with the enemy, as they see the awesome deeds of God, it says that they cringe in fear. Next, we see that all, he says, all the earth worships you. Again, this is a call for all to proclaim and sings praises to you. And then we get this picture again of future hope when through Christ, all nations will sing the praises of God's name. It's as if the psalmist is longing for that which he might not fully understand. The day when great numbers of people throughout the earth would sing praises to God. It's this response responsive longing that leads to our next call to proclamation in verse 5. So we're told to shout and to sing and to tell of God's mighty salvation. But then in verse 5, we're called to tell others to what? To come and see. To come and see what God has done for the children of man. As I read that this week, I was immediately reminded of John 1, 35-42. What happens is John the Baptist's disciples see Jesus. And John the Baptist says, Hey, behold the Lamb of God. And so these disciples of John begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus, knowing they're following Him, turns around and He says, What do you seek? And they reply, they say, Hey, where, where are you staying? Which is a roundabout way of saying, We're seeking you, but we're not yet sure. And I love Jesus responds with this beautiful invitation in verse 39. He tells them all he does. He says, come and you will see. I don't believe that Jesus is just talking about where he's staying. He's talking about come and you'll see who I really am. Come and see. And as followers of Jesus, one of the greatest and most simple forms of proclamation that we have available to us is to simply invite others into our daily lives of following Jesus so that they might come and see. You don't have all the words? Just say, hey, just come and see. Just come see how I live life. Just come and see. Come and see is an invitation to join in and consider who Christ is and what He's done. Church family, you have an opportunity. We have an opportunity before us to simply just invite others into our lives and into the life of our church by way of coming and seeing. Come and see. Not the brand of Center Church, but how God is working in and through this church to produce transformed lives that then go and proclaim. Come and see. Come and join in on life and see all that God has done. So today in your life, what has God done? And how can you simply invite others into that? Come and see. One of the things we talk about a lot, just as a staff, is that, man, we want to see our church become a culture of invitation. And that's what I believe that come and see. We want people like, hey, we just want to invite people like, come and see. Come, Come and see. man. But to be a culture of invitation, we have to have excitement about what God's doing in our own lives, but also in the lives of those around us. Man, like, like we all have that opportunity, but man, you know, by and large, like the people I work with in the office, guess what? They're already they, they're on staff, so they have to come and see, right? Like they're here. Man, for y'all, 
each and every day, you can invite people to come and see. Not simply to center church, but man, come and, like, come and see what Jesus has done in my life. By the way you live. The example that the psalmist gives in verse 6 and 7 points back to the mighty works of God in saving the people from their enslavement in Egypt. At Exodus 14 and 15, two things happen. One, God displays His power, love, and protection by parting the sea so that the people could cross over. And then displays His judgment and authority as God by destroying Pharaoh. But the second thing we see is the result of this is God's people rejoicing in their salvation by proclaiming God's awesome deeds. Guess what? The Exodus story was only a foretaste of the greater Exodus to come through Christ. The Gospel is the fullness of salvation to be seen and rejoiced in. You see, we worship the One who rules by His sovereign providence and whose eyes keep watch and care for the nations. Again, the focus is way further and beyond us. Therefore, may we not, may not the rebellious exalt themselves, for if they do, their fate will be like that of the Egyptians. And then we get the term say law, and we don't have time to get into all that. I mean, 100% know what it is. It could be just a break in the psalm. But let's continue, verses 8-15. through 15. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us and have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water. Yet you, listen to this, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. So what we find here in this portion of the text is a call to proclaim or bless God through every circumstance, specifically through suffering and sanctification. You see, the reality is, we all get this, is it's far easier and more comfortable to proclaim when things are good, but I would argue that suffering and sanctification are one of our greatest avenues and opportunities to proclaim the hope of the gospel to the world around us. Jeremy said it earlier, like we want to be a church that it's okay to come in here and not be okay. You see, we proclaim both through salvation and suffering because it was through the suffering of Christ that we received the ability to proclaim our salvation. So the psalmist tells us to bless or again shout, sing, rejoice in God, O peoples, and let the sound of our praise be heard. Oh, may the sound of our praise drown out and be a sweet and inviting song over and above the culture and brokenness around us. We have better news to proclaim. Even through suffering and sanctification because we have a God who is not simply for us, but who died for us and is with us and will never forsake us because He was forsaken for us. I mean, that's why we can look at the why of verse 9. For He has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. You see, we are kept in Christ, which means that not only do we not save ourselves, but we do not keep ourselves saved. We are hidden in Christ and our feet are kept from slipping. You see, Christ holds you by grace, therefore you are freed up to what? You are freed up to proclaim no matter the circumstances that arise. There's nothing ultimate on the table. You're in Christ. 
So go be bold. For even through, and you get this picture of testing and refining of sanctification and even suffering. Being tried just as silver is in the furnace to burn away any impurity so that it might be beautifully displayed. We are to be a people who display and proclaim the beauty of the gospel in any and every season. For through all testing, imprisonment, suffering, our running from God, God is using all of it to bring us into a place of what? Abundance. In the midst of it, it says, and yet you brought us to a place of abundance. He, as it says in Romans, works all things for his for our good and his glory. And so, what is our response to be in the midst of such an understanding of suffering and sanctification? Well, again, it's to be one of worship and proclamation. For the psalmist says that he will not allow suffering to steal his joy and hope. He says, I'll continue to go to the house of God and offer sacrifice and perform vows that he uttered to God in the face of suffering. In the face of testing and trials. I believe that's so key for our lives. When suffering or our own self, sin, right, arises, we have two options. We can turn from God and run to other things in disgust and anger. Maybe today that's where you are. Like things haven't worked out exactly the way you hoped they would and so you've kind of turned from God or maybe you're just holding it at a distance and saying, yeah. Like I've realized some of that in my own heart lately. I've got some wrestling. There's some things I'm just upset about. And guess what? That's not a good option. Because in doing this, you're only prolonging and deepening your sorrow. Rather, we are to draw near to God who is good and cares for our souls. And we are to continue. We are to fight for worship. So, some of y'all were there. Some of y'all experienced it. But at my father-in-law's funeral, when we got up, we said a few things and then we just worshiped Jesus. We just worship because guess what? Like, that's all we had. In the midst of great sorrow, we worshiped because our hope in every season can and must only be in Christ. Now, does that make worship easy? No. Do we still have longing? Yes. Do we wish things were different? Oh, yes. And yet we worship. You want to proclaim the gospel in a manner that confounds the world around you? Proclaim the good news in the midst and through suffering. Not in a way that's fake and disregards the suffering, but through all the heartache and sadness, look to God and proclaim to Him that He alone is enough and He alone is good. The world doesn't have a grid for that. So we're to proclaim the glory of God's salvation through rescue and in the midst of sanctification and suffering. Let's close out looking at our last call to proclaim by reading 16 through 20. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened 
He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because He has not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. Okay, so following all this, the psalmist calls all who fear to come and hear of what God has done for his soul. This call to come and hear is connected to the call in verse 5 to come and see. You see, when we invite others to come and see what God has done collectively and in our own lives, it creates opportunities for us to tell others about what God has done in our souls. I love the wording there. The call is for all of us to testify and tell what God has done in your soul. Not the things He's provided externally. That's a false gospel. But for the provision of giving life to the depths of who you are. You don't need more things. You need a new heart. And Christ breathes life upon the deadness of your soul. Therefore, we should be talking about what God has done in our hearts and lives and what we see Him doing in the hearts and lives of others. Like people shouldn't they they, they sh- like they shouldn't be able to shut us up. Like we talk about a lot of things we should stop talking about, and we should start talking about what Jesus has done for us. We gripe about a lot of things we should start griping about and start talking about what Jesus has done for us. My prayer is that Center Church would be known by others as a culture of sharing. No, I mean, sharing tangibly what we have, but also, man, sharing our lives. Because we know it's okay to not be okay, that Jesus is enough, and that He's good and He's worth sharing about. I want us to be a culture, a proclamation that is quick and ready to share what God has done and is doing in our heart and life. I want us to do that in the church, together, but I want us to do that outside. I want us to invite people to come and see and as they come and see that they oh they would come and hear and that in turn we would go and tell I think so often in the church we think well people will just get here no go and tell them invite them to come and see and then man when they get here you give them Jesus for we as the psalmist have cried out and we are to cry out be in light of salvation or in the midst of momentary distress and we are to praise Him with our mouths. You see, we have to use words. You see, the thing about whenever we use words to proclaim the Gospel, what we do is we proclaim, man, this is not of me. We get out of the way. You can do a whole lot of things and people never know that you're a follower of Jesus. But when you put words to it as to why you do what you do, that changes things. But we must also turn our hearts from iniquity. But but guess how you do that? Not by willpower, but by practicing what this psalm has called us to. Do you want the power of sin to fade into the background? If so, turn to Christ. Worship of Christ takes away sin's power. Start by looking at what is hold of your worship. Is it Christ or is it something else? Is it Christ or is it finance? Is it Christ or is it if my life would have just worked out this way and that's why I can't? No, no. is it Christ or is it something else? If it's something else, repent and turn to Christ. You see, in crying out and worshiping, look at what happens. What we see at the end of this psalm, it says God listens. He says He attends to our cries. Man, God cares. 
Therefore, we are to proclaim the blessings of God in all of life because He has not removed His steadfast love from us. Because there is nothing ultimate on the table, man, we can have the boldness to invite people to come and see, to proclaim the good news of the gospel that has transformed and shaped our hearts. So I'm going to have the team come back up and I just want to invite you today in response to proclaim. And not just for five weeks, okay? That we would see the gospel as big and transformative and powerful for our own lives, but also that we would see it as the only transformative power for the lives of others. And that that's what we would give people. So I invite you today to proclaim, to reflect on how awesome His deeds are. Man, write them out. Share them with someone. To proclaim in the midst of suffering by worship. And also, guess what? In the midst of, like, you have, like, you have the body. In good and bad, but man, specifically in suffering, like, don't do it alone. And then I want to invite you today to proclaim to invite others to come and see and come and hear. Invite them to church, but invite them into your life. And that you would pray for opportunities to do so. So today, if you've heard all this and you're like, man, that sounds really good, but I, like, you don't understand the good news, then come talk to me. I'd love to just share with you what this good news actually is and how you can have life so that you might then go out and proclaim. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I invite you to come and share in communion. But as you share in communion, what you're reminding yourself of is, man, man Jesus came and he, he, came, he is the good news. And the reason the good news is good is because He gave all of Himself. That's our hope. That's our joy. That's the reason we praise. But in taking it, what you're doing is saying, no, we do this in remembrance of You, but what He's called us to in remembrance of Him is to go and proclaim. You say, okay, Jesus, in remembrance of You coming and being what we could not, we want to go and we want to proclaim to others that You can be what they cannot. That we would proclaim the hope of His life, death, and resurrection. And as you do that here in just a moment, um, as we share in communion, the team's going to lead us and we're going to sing uh, an old hymn, How Great Thou Art. Just as a reminder of how great God is. And man, I want you, I don't care what your singing voice is like, just sing, proclaim it. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You, God, that um, all of Your Word points us to Jesus. God, it doesn't just point us to Jesus, Lord. And as we look to Jesus, uh, Lord, not only are we transformed, but God, that what, what You've done in us, You want to do through us. You want to use us as vessels of proclamation. So may we be a people that are emboldened in that. And that we, as You uh, call the disciples to come and see, may we invite other people to come and see You. Not us, not what we do here, but come and simply see. Come and see Jesus. And also that they would come, and as they come they would hear that we would be people that proclaim the good news of the Gospel in every aspect of life. Lord, give us strength and give us power. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.